You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 25, airing on March 30th, 2012. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And I'm Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. And Sandy, we have been certainly uh, working hard to make a difference in ending human trafficking, especially over the last few weeks, because just uh, a few weeks ago was Vanguard... uh, Vanguard's Global Center for Women and Justice's annual conference. And we're here today to share some of the uh, results and some of the knowledge and some of the conversation and dialogue that came out of that conference. For those who are listening across the globe who obviously weren't able to attend in person, but hopefully can get a small piece of what we were able to uh, do at the conference this year. Uh, I tell you, Dave, Insure Justice 2012 was absolutely amazing. The um, the highlights and the takeaways, we could spend hours talking about it. And we had a great turnout this year too. Oh yeah, it was. And, and they came from a lot of different walks of life, organizations, public and private. And I think that was the big takeaway. We talk about collaboration. We talk about community engagement. We talk about public-private partnerships, but it doesn't work if the public sector professionals aren't there. If the community volunteers and community um, resources aren't there. So at Ensure Justice 2012, they came. The judge, the prosecutor, the probation officer, the juvenile detention supervisor, the child welfare and social service Uh, provider, the Orange County Human Trafficking Task Force members, and church leaders, um, after-school program directors, nonprofit directors, and everyday people and students, of course, at Vanguard. The students are key to the whole process. But they came, and at the end of every plenary session, um, the conversation was about collaboration. Yeah, it's such a important topic that we've talked about so many times on this podcast. And in fact, one of the sessions I facilitated at the conference was about that fourth P in the ending human trafficking. Uh, the uh, and, and I'm blanking on the name of the report here, Sandy. The, the trafficking, trafficking and victims in, report. Trafficking, yeah, traf- trafficking, trafficking in persons, persons report. report yes. Yeah. Uh, and we talked about that fourth P and the importance of partnership because we often haven't talked about the partnership with the business community in really raising awareness around this issue and partnering from a standpoint of resources and tools and knowledge. And because of our ability to engage in that conversation, I do think people, I hope, walked away with some new perspective on new ways to engage, not just um, not just the nonprofit world and not just the faith community, which has been wonderful supporters of, of really fighting this issue, but but people in the business world too, who care deeply about this mm-hmm, issue, many of mm-hmm. them. And so that was really exciting to see and be part of some of those conversations. And I know that you have a tremendous amount of notes for us and, and things for oh, us to take goodness. away. So let's, let's but jump I'm right glad, in. I'm glad that you said that about partnership though, because 
I think at the beginning of any um, overview of what we are going to do, we have to start with assessing what is our own expertise Mm -hmm. and what resources do we bring to the table. Mm -hmm. We can't say, oh, I want to do that unless we have the resources to do it for several reasons. One, of course, um, we're going to end up in big trouble. But secondly, if we say I want to do something and we say I'm going to do it, and then we don't have the expertise and we don't have the resources, we overpromise, underdeliver, and we um, compromise our reputation in the community and we make it less attractive for the public sector to engage with us because, oh, we've done that before and that didn't work out so well. They yeah. said they were going to do this and then they didn't show up. So we, so we want to keep that in mind in any effort um, on collaboration and community engagement. So um, if you are interested in more details about the conference, if you're interested in ordering CDs or DVDs from anything that we talk about now, um, that will be available on our website at gcwj.vanguard.edu. And we probably should mention before we get started here, Sandy, for those who do have questions or comments about anything that we say today, and of course, any questions on human trafficking uh, prevention efforts in general, Sandy, of course, has a tremendous expertise through the center at Vanguard. You can reach out to the Global Center for Women and Justice uh, here at Vanguard University anytime at 714-966-6361. And if you don't reach us live, you can leave a message. We will get back to you. And we also, if you'd like us to, uh, respond to your question here on the show. And you can also email out to us at gcwj at vanguard.edu. So again, that's gcwj at vanguard.edu. And of course, that stands for the Global Center for Women and Justice. Great. So we started our day with a panel from Las Vegas that works with this particular population of commercially sexually exploited girls. Esther Brown is the victim service person and Craig Christensen um, supervises the detention facility. And they they brought with them a considerable amount of expertise based on experience. And we kept hearing over and over again, we need a safe house. We need a better place. We need a way to treat these kids like victims, but also keep them in a place where they are safe and secure because 85%, according to Esther, run when you place them in a group home or in a place where um, there isn't any way to keep them from running away. So, and, and I hate to use the word locking them up, but this sense that we need to protect them um, may include a secure facility, but do they really need to be in... Um, in a detention facility? That's the question. And forgive my ignorance on this, Sandy. I didn't see this session. So are there not safe houses that are available for victims? Or? Not not in that particular um, uh, design, which is why in mm. Las Vegas, these kids are then admitted or, or um, detained in the juvenile detention facility. They, um, they have a, a protocol where they provide specific 
um, resources for these kids Mm -hmm. and they follow them and they do everything they possibly can for a better outcome. And they partner with the community and a lot of community resources come to the table. So you're, you're seeing collaboration models, but they really have a, um, a vision and a goal to have a separate safe, secure facility for these kids. And I'm guessing that the challenge here is that although they have broken the law and have committed a criminal act, in many cases, they are as much the victim as they are the, um, or even more so the victim than the perpetrator. And so really they need the services and the security and the help from the community to get back on their feet. And that just that just isn't there. They tend to be treated more like criminals when they get into uh, you know situations like that. And that that was really one of the themes of the day. How are we going to keep them safe, but also treat them like victims? And um, we moved on then to hearing a compelling story from Carissa Phelps, who is the author of a soon-to-be-released um, autobiography, Runaway Girl, Escaping Life on the Streets, One helping hand at a time and past guest on the ending human trafficking podcast yeah that's right that's right oh my goodness her story she is a compelling speaker she is evidence that a victim does not need to stay a victim she is now a survivor advocate she has a law degree and an mba and she is making a difference her story is evidence that we we can see um, a great future for these kids. They are not throwaway kids. She is a voice for treating them like victims, for finding ways to um, individually design treatment programs, which in this day and age where budgets are constantly being challenged, that's not going to be an easy thing to do, which is why we wanted to start the conference with this conversation And then we want people in the community to assess their expertise and their resources to to see where they begin to be part of the big picture. There really isn't an organization or a government agency that can take on the whole issue. It, It has to be collaboration. But as we heard many times during the conference, collaboration is messy. Yeah. And it takes time. And it takes sitting down and, um, talking. We, we, um, We closed out the afternoon on Friday with another panel with Judge Doug Hachimonji of Orange County and Gerard Bergeron from Juvenile Detention, Juvenile Probation rather, and Melissa Wetton, who is our victim um, services rep from the Orange County Human Trafficking Task Force. And their panel was uh, particularly interesting because they are they are trying to establish new protocols when they pick the kids up right at the beginning. So before mm. they're in the system, um, they are they're making sure that there is a victim advocate, a probation, um, juvenile probation person, as well as the arresting officer. So the typical scenario is um, a, a 14, 15 year old is picked up for juvenile prostitution, and that's that's the name of the the crime. Mm. And then what happens next if this is a minor, this girl is under 18, then we already know by definition um, with the TVPA federally that she's considered a victim and there will be 
victim resources because she's not of an age um, where we have to prove force, fraud, or coercion. So, so they're trying to be more um, intentional and preemptive in introducing um, a different strategy. So they start treating her like a victim, even though they take her to um, a secure facility that we call a juvenile detention facility, mm-hmm. which sounds more like prison to a 14 or 15 year old. Sure. So they're, they're, um, they didn't have any solid answers for us, but they introduced more of the issues for us, which was very helpful. Mm. Um, we closed out Friday with a plenary session that uh, we'll have to do an entire program yeah. around the work of Jeremy Comban um, from New York City, the Children's Village. He, he really helped us see who these kids are, whether they ever get picked up and taken to juvenile detention. They are in our residential emergency services. They are in line waiting for a foster home. And he he said to us, in our experience, the children's village experience, the overwhelming majority of the children we work with were exploited first at home or within the safety of what should have been the trust and the protection of family. Mm. Sad, isn't it? Well, and it begins to make us think about, okay, so instead of looking at what can we do when they're picked up um, by law enforcement, Mm -hmm. what can we do when they're in the streets trying to survive? I think Carissa Phelps challenged us with that. What can we do to make sure that they have um, a safe place Dr. Uh, Jeremy Comban said, named his, called his plenary session from betrayal to trust. And he asked us to consider seven constructive behaviors. He suggested these, these seven things. Be brave at home in your church or faith community, in your nonprofit, your charitable organization, and make sure that these kids are not hurt right in your own trust community. Mm -hmm. And there are situations where we aren't public about what happens. And he challenged us. He challenged that we'll take care of it. It's part of um, family. Mm -hmm. How do we address that? Um, He said, be vigilant because the pimps, pedophiles, and perpetrators want to be inside our organization and there's a growing awareness if you have children's ministries that's attractive to a perpetrator how do we do a better job of of establishing protocols that will protect our mission to serve third he said be sensitive and respond very forcefully to any kind of language that describes children in a negative way um, who have been exploited. And of course, I loved that. You know me. I don't want people to call these kids teen prostitutes. Mm-hmm. I want them to call them commercially sexually exploited children because it defines what the real experience is. They're, somebody's making a profit by exploiting a child. Then he said, don't fall in love with the clinical label. And I'm like, what is that about? I'm not, well, 
He's talking about traumatized and pseudoscientific um, labels. And then he really boils it down to one thing. For these children, the only panacea is true belonging to someone who will not exploit them again. And he continues to um, to remind us of that when he, he goes on to his... Um, Fifth point, be a witness, keep your eyes open, watch, give voice to what you see to validate kids' experiences, and then be patient. This is damage that lasts a lifetime, and you can't have a 30-day rescue house and expect to turn out um, all better uh situations in 30 days. It's going to take a lot of time. Yeah, a lot more complicated than that. And he challenged us finally with the fact that he says government has no solutions. And here we are bringing the public sector and the private sector together in our conference on purpose. Mm -hmm. But he, he really summed up how important that collaboration is. He said, there are no government solutions to rebuilding lives. These children need relationships. And he tells us that the mantra at the children's village is one appropriate and stable adult relationship. That's it. And he closed with these remarks because there are so many people who say, what can I do? Uh, You know, I'm, and he said, here's what you can do. Step up and make long-term commitments to children. And I don't mean, I'm quoting him here now, just making the commitment to cute and personable children. I'm talking about the commitment we make to the girl who is not as attractive, the girl whose personality is destroyed by the abuse, the girl who is not white or Caucasian, the girl who doesn't want to trust again, the girl who pushes us away by her behavior, attitude, look, and general incorrigibility. We need at least one person for each of these girls. Are you willing to be that person? Wow, it was quiet. Not a word. Yeah, it's a tough challenge for all of us, Sandy, to look at how can we be a part of that. It's a huge need. Well, and the good news is that we didn't leave you um, in a place where you were sitting there thinking, wow, now what do I do? Yeah. We came back on Saturday, and on Saturday, we really focused on how do we be that person Mm. for that girl. And Dr. Mary Wickman, who is the director of our nursing program at Vanguard, which, by the way, Dave, we start in the fall with an MSN, and I'm really excited about we that. We do. We yeah. do. I'm going to be teaching in that oh, program. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I'm, ex- that's I'm great. excited. And Mary Wickham is just, uh, Mary Wickman is just a tremendous resource to Vanguard and, and also has done a lot of research around uh, youth and risky behaviors that youth take and just you know, has a tremendous amount to teach us about this issue. She um, she did a presentation on her research, uh, The Adolescent Perception of Invincibility and Its Meaning for Teen Exploitation. And bottom line, what we discovered is educating teens, prevention programs that go into high schools and junior highs is not enough. It's not enough because the idea of invincibility the, the framework of invincibility creates a, a situation where the child says, well, it's not going to happen to me. I'm smarter than that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and it, yeah, that's a that's a um, a plenary session you'll want to make sure you download and listen to. Okay. Workshops were designed to help people focus on the area of expertise or resources that they particularly felt um, they might be able to help with. And Dr. Joanne Butrin. Um, discussed community health implications of sex trafficking and presented a great model that she called 10-10-10 as she closed up with all of the different things that you could be doing to address this as a community health issue. She challenged people to assess what their resources and expertise were and then make a commitment to either 10 minutes or 10 days or 10 months but everybody can do something. And, and she created some lists of things that would fit in those columns. So that might be something you would be interested in learning about. Uh, Tina Feigl, Parenting the Rescued Girl, Using Effective New Ideas that Work. Absolutely rave reviews. I can't tell you how many emails I got afterwards. People want to know more. The idea that... Um, we can't just put these kids into regular um, programs because of the abuse, because of the trauma. They need particularly, particularly um, um, individualized attention and and treatment modalities. And so, how do you how do you prepare for that? Well. Um, teaching foster parents how to foster parent kids out of this situation is going to be really important. It goes right back to what uh, Jeremy challenged everyone to do too. And, and okay, not just take the challenge, but here's the resources of how to actually go about doing that. And, and fortunately, I mean, that was our hope with our strategy for how we constructed the conference. We, mm-hmm. we have this challenge, but now we are going to put tools in your hand. And these are some of the tools um, Karen Bergstrom from uh, Olive Crest Safe Families and Pastor Danny DeLeon from um, Santa Ana did a great job on giving us a model for how we can help by being a family. Again, back to Jeremy's belonging, belonging, and how do we prepare and what modalities are already in place. And Olive Crest is a great place to go to um, be trained and to be part of something bigger that does address this. Um, Lynn Young from Orphan Care here in Orange County had great community strategies for getting involved in foster care and after school programs and in commitments to that one child and setting Mm up um, a team that supports one child. That was a fabulous idea and we really enjoyed um, learning that that particular strategy. Amelia Frank-Meyer her workshop, Stop Blaming the Victim, Understanding Grief and Loss in Traumatized Youth. When when I'm with people and we are driving down the road and you see a girl standing on the corner and someone says, well, what can she expect dressed like that? My heart breaks because I know the person who just said that really doesn't understand why she's there. Mm -hmm. Amelia helped us understand what she's lost and why it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. And then what can we do? What can we do? It's Um, easy to just look at what's right in front of you and to criticize and to judge. But often we don't see the years 
that has led up to that and the situation that those children have been in, Sandy. And so it's so, uh, it's so important, and I'm so glad we do really try to, not only the work that the Global Center does, but on the podcast here to really look at the complexity of these issues because they are very, very complex. If they were simple, we wouldn't have to have this podcast, you know? Oh, good idea. I, I think from, um, from the perspective of stop blaming the victim, if we started every time we saw a, a little girl that's dressed in an inappropriate way, whether or not she's already been involved in, in any of the stuff we're talking about, but if she's just on her way to school, um, instead of criticizing... We have to start thinking about why is this happening and why is hypersexualization of children such a, a media-driven um, force and what can I do to stop that? And one of the things that we're going to do next year in our conference, which this is a, a time for you to pull out your calendar and write Save the Date, for March 8th and 9th for Insured Justice 2013. You don't want to miss it. Mm. We are going to talk about cyber crimes against women and children and this whole Huge idea issue. of media-driven hypersexualization and normalization of sexual harm. Mm -hmm. That has to be part of our understanding so that we stop blaming a child who didn't drive that. They're basically, it's like being caught up on a wave um, here on the in Southern California, we have alerts sometimes that surfers shouldn't go out because the waves are too big, mm -hmm. and um, that's what happens to a child. They get swept away on that media wave. How are we going to change that? And that's going to be our focus next year. Fascinating. The um, the next panel that we had a Saturday afternoon was one of my favorite, and I just have to keep going back and saying that um, having public sector professionals show up is where community engagement begins. And uh, my, my thanks and my applauding uh, goes out to um, Judge Doug Hachimonji, to Las Vegas juvenile prosecutor Teresa Lowry, and to San Bernardino um, juvenile prosecutor Tamara Ross, who were on that panel and we brought in Carissa Phelps to be on the panel too. And we asked the questions about um, prosecuting juvenile offenders or protecting juvenile victims. Mm -hmm. It was a very lively conversation and the issues are very complex. How do we do this? And there is a general sense from a juvenile prosecutor perspective that um, this is in the best interest of the child, uh, of this teen. And so how do we have that conversation? And then Carissa, um, her response is, but to be treated like a criminal. And Carissa experienced this. Firsthand. She had her, um, she had to stand in line and wear the, the juvenile hall clothes and, and, and follow these things these guidelines being locked up and um, hearing that you're, you're like, okay, no, I agree with Carissa. But then I, I listened to Teresa and, and I'm thinking, wow, we're going to, well, so I thought in order for me to do a good job of reporting on that to you, it would be better 
to for you to hear from one of those prosecutors. Mm. So our next podcast is going to be an interview with San Bernardino juvenile prosecutor Tamara Ross. Oh, great. So isn't that a great place to end today? Knowing that we're going to finish this on the next one? Yeah, and that's going to be episode number 26, which is going to air on April 13th, 2012. So we'll uh, we'll be sure to be back with that episode here in just a couple of weeks. And yeah, I'm glad we're going to be able to talk to her in more detail, Sandy, and to really bring the perspective of the conference to people who weren't able to be there. And by the way, uh, you've done a tremendous job of summarizing in a in 25 minutes here yeah. of uh, the conference. I'm, I'm amazed of being able to pull two days into that period of time. For those who wanted to really go more in depth and to even get the conference recordings, um, I, I believe those are available. What's the best way for folks to go about that, Sandy? Just go on our website, gcwj.vanguard.edu, and we'll have um, an order form and some links set up so that you'll be able to access that depending on what kind of um, media you'd like to have. Great. Well, that's a great resource for folks who aren't able to, weren't able to make it in person. And hopefully you would consider coming to the conference next year. And again, those dates Sandy mentioned are March 8th and 9th, 2013. And the topic again is going to be cyber crimes against women and children, which we all know is a huge, uh, huge topic uh, and then so much to cover there you could probably we could probably do a week conference just on that topic sandy and we'd still be just scratching the surface and you know i think that brings us to um you know our final point here today sandy is this this is a very overwhelming issue it, it but because it's such an overwhelming issue it's important for us to talk about it's important for uh, what the global center does here to really help people to study the issues so we can all be a voice and make a difference in ending human trafficking and Sandy and I recognize that this is not a warm and fuzzy show. This is not the show that mm. you listen to to unwind. In fact, our hope is, um, and I, I'm speaking for you here, Sandy, but I, I don't think I'm going out too much on a limb. Our hope is, is that you'd listen to the show and it would rile you up and you would Absolutely. get, you would say, hey, I want to do something about this and to do things in an appropriate way. And towards that end, we'd like your help. If you've been listening to this show for uh, some time, or maybe this is the first time you've listened to the show and you've found something here that's been of value to you, uh, one of the ways that you can help us to get this message out to more people is to help more people find us online. So uh, two ways you can do that. One is if you have people in your community who are uh, like you care about this issue and ending human trafficking, we'd certainly love it if you'd let them know about this show so we can help to uh, really help them study the issues as well. And the other way that you can help us out too is, uh, as many of you know, this show syndicates on iTunes, which is probably, uh, Sandy, about how 80 to 90% of our audience yeah. finds us. Uh, folks search for human trafficking on iTunes and they're looking for resources to educate themselves. And we've heard from so many people around the globe who have gone to iTunes and uh, typed in something like human trafficking and have found this podcast because we're the first thing that comes up when you type in ending human trafficking in iTunes. And the w one way that more people can find us is the more reviews that are on iTunes about this show, the higher actually we come up in the rankings and the more oh. likely it is that people will find us. So one of the things we'd like to challenge you to do as a listener of this show if you have been a regular listener, if this show's been helpful to you, and if you use iTunes, which is likely if you're listening to the show, I'd like to challenge you, uh, and if you would do us a favor, to hop onto iTunes, uh, do a search on the iTunes store for Ending Human Trafficking. You will see this podcast come up. And if you would take 
two or three minutes to write us a review about this show, how it's been helpful to you. Um, We certainly will appreciate it, but more so and much more importantly, uh, it'll help us to reach more people. So if you would take a moment uh, to do that for uh, us, we'd certainly appreciate it, and uh, it'll help us get this message out, Sandy. So All hop right. on to iTunes, search for Ending Human Trafficking. And uh, and Sandy, that's just going to about do it okay. for our time here today. And so, uh, of course, in addition to connecting with us through iTunes, you can also connect with us directly anytime if you have questions for us that you'd like to see us address on the show, or maybe you'd like to reach out to Sandy directly and you have questions for her. You can connect with us at 714-966-6361. Or, of course, you can email us at the Global Center for Women and Justice at gcwj at vanguard.edu. And there is a Facebook site for the Global Center as well. That's right. Hop on Facebook. uh, Just Like us. Yeah, like us. Just search for Global Center for Women and Justice. You'll get all the updates on the podcast and a whole bunch more, too, that the center's up to. And... uh, and we want to stay connected with you. Thanks. Thanks, Have Andy. And uh, we'll see, see you in two weeks for uh, Tamara. Oh, yeah. Can't wait. Take care, everybody. Bye.